That was intended to get the blood flowing. So, <laughs> no, I meant like turn around, like make a circle. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, I don't know when I've eaten like I've eaten this weekend. Oh, you have hurt me in the most wonderful kind of way. Thank you. Uh, because our time is a little bit short tonight, I want to jump right in. And I want you to imagine with me for just a minute that you were born in 19, uh, 1848 in Scotland. You are a part of a family that is so poor that at the age of 11 years old, you have to go work in the mill, in the factory in town to literally keep your family from starving to death. Your father just died of pneumonia. You're 11 years old. Your two brothers have died. And so you as the oldest sister are working in the factory with your mom. At 16 years old, you get promoted. And you have the privilege of working in the factory from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., six days a week, to provide for your family. If that was your lot in life, what would be your dream? That was the life of Mary Slessor. She dreamed obsessively about going to Africa and sharing with folks in Africa in the deepest, darkest part of Africa that had never heard of Jesus. William Livingston had died and she said, I've got to go. I've got to tell people in Africa about Jesus. Otherwise, how will they hear? She was a fiery, feisty lady. If you've never read her story, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to uh, get a, a copy. We at, at our church, in our library, we have um, missionary biographies, but we also have uh, biographies on CD. And I encourage you, families, get those. They're not expensive. You can actually get them, isn't it, through Pioneers? Song, yeah. yeah. Um, and when you're driving back and forth, taking the kids to school, listen to those stories. They will have an impact. But God used her strong faith and her strong personality to radically impact Nigeria. So much so that when she died, she was given the equivalent of a state funeral. And I wish I had time to tell you the story. Mary Slusser in all of that poverty and all of that difficulty knew that she had been chosen by God that he had placed his love upon her we would look at her circumstances and say where's God he's abandoned her but she felt like a princess because God rescued her from her sins and she wanted to share that gift with others and that's what God calls us to do. That's what we talked about last night. Turn with me again uh, to Isaiah chapter 40. 
Last night we finished up at verse 5. Tonight we're going to pick up at verse 6 and read down through verse 11. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I say, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see and help us to see and understand your vision, your desire for your world. And we pray it together in your name. Amen. Over and over in this passage, Isaiah calls on the people of God to cry out. We see it, uh, well, it begins in verse uh, 2, and and then again in verse 3, and now again in verse uh, 6. A voice says, cry. And then again, and I said, what shall I cry? Now, let me ask you this. What would the people of Israel have been thinking when they hear from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 that they are to cry out? I think it is exactly what Parker said earlier. They would be reflecting back to the prophet Isaiah and being reminded that they were to be a blessing to the nations. That through them, every nation on the earth would be blessed. Now, I want to blow your mind. So turn over to Isaiah 19. Verse 23. I've actually asked a uh, Jewish priest to explain this verse to me, and he's never responded. Now, I'm, yeah, verse uh, 23. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Now, if you read the rest of the context, we won't have time to go into it. They're talking about Assyrians and Egyptians Worshiping the true and living God. Then verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. I can't imagine that the the people of Israel, when they read what Isaiah wrote their minds must have been blown you mean we're supposed to tell those you remember we were in Egypt we were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and and you want us to go tell them about you 
Well, exactly. As a matter of fact, Israel's going to be third. Not first, then Egypt, then Assyria. I mean, I really can't imagine what they felt, what they feel. And then look over at Isaiah 24, 14 to 16. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it's as if he leans over and he goes, From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. They knew that they were to proclaim the good news of, well, at this point, not of Christ, of the Christ. They wouldn't have had a fully developed theology of what that meant. But the people of Israel understood that. So the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 says, cry. Now look at, look at verse 6 again. A voice says cry. What form of speech is that? Do we have any English teachers in the room? Okay, what is the subject? You. You cry. Okay, so it's a command. Now, when you hear the word cry, what comes to mind? Sadness. Sadness. I'm sorry? Tears. Tears, okay. There's a sense of urgency and desperation, right? Call out. Cry aloud. There's this urgency and desperation. There must be this sense in which, and again, think back to last night. Think back to the early part of that passage. If you have received the comfort of God, if you have understood the forgiveness of your own sins being wiped away, you must. You are compelled. There's a sense in which you couldn't be held back from sharing. We must cry out. That's what's implied in this passage. For the people of Israel. How much more so for us who have Christ, who understand the gospel so much more fully than they did. Do you feel... A clear sense of the need to call out to those who are lost and bound in sin. We are called to move out in compassion, remembering the comfort and forgiveness we received, we have received. We are to move out in gratitude and humility. Is it optional? Okay, everybody, is it optional? No, it's not optional. I'm sorry, but it's not. I wish it was. Look at verse 9. I love the way the prophet Isaiah writes this. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Do you understand what the prophet Isaiah is saying? The people of God, once they've experienced the comfort and the forgiveness of God, are to get up to a high mountain. 
and to start telling the good. You get up on a high mountain so when you proclaim it, lots of people can hear, right? Again, it's not optional. He describes them as heralds of good news. That is what we are. We are heralds of the good news of the gospel. The people of God are proclaimers. He says you are to lift up your voice with strength. And yet so often, and and people, I'm here to tell you, I am guilty of being fearful and I'm guilty of being timid. And it's something I have to repent of all the time. So what's included in this crying out? Obviously, it includes that we actually open our mouths, that we, we actually speak, we bear witness to the grace we've received, flowing out of something that we treasure. Do we have any Alabama fans in here? Okay. And then the other half of you, that makes you Auburn fans, right? Do you have any trouble telling people about how big a fan you... Roll Tide, right? We, that which we love, we tell about. That which we treasure, we celebrate and we share with others. There is desperation and it's like there's desperation in this description. It's like a rescue worker. Um, I pictured when the, uh, the triple disaster happened in northern Japan. You know, you had the, uh, the earthquake and then you had the tidal wave. Then you had the nuclear disaster. And I pictured people racing from house to house. And in Japan, a lot of the houses, the first floor collapsed, the second floor down. The bedrooms were upstairs and they, you would go searching through. Trying to, and if you found someone, or if you found someone trapped underneath, what would you do? You would scream, hey, over here, come help. Let's help rescue this person that's trapped. Right? And that's somebody suffering temporarily. Not someone who is under the threat of hell for eternity. I'm preaching to myself. I am reminding myself of these truths as much as I'm reminding you. Because I need to be reminded of them. Isaiah then goes on and he says, we tell them the truth. That's how we proclaim this message. I love Isaiah's honesty. In verse 6b, he first says, a voice, a voice says, cry. And Isaiah says, what do I say? What, what shall I cry? I love that. Basically, what should I say? I feel that way sometimes. Don't you feel at a loss sometimes when you're engaged in a conversation with somebody and you don't know what to say? That is okay. That is okay. Engage that person as a human being. You don't have to have some uh, four spiritual laws memorized and you've got to get through your presentation. Treat them with the dignity of a human being, a friend who is lost, but they may not even know that. And you just enter into conversation with them. There are two things that he says we should say. We should say this life, this world is not life. He says all flesh is like grass. It's going to pass away. This life is fleeting. 
The second thing, though, he says in verse 9, God is awesome. Behold your God. So those are the two things that we share. Think about the, um, think about the book of Acts and the apostles and what they shared in the book of Acts. Turn over, if you would, to Acts 4, verse 32 and 33. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You see, they have been radically transformed in their view of the world, and their view of the things of the world. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. So they were preaching the resurrection. The resurrection is pointing to the fact that this life is fleeting. But there's life to come. And then he says, we're to proclaim, behold your God. We're to point them to the living God, the all-powerful one, the mighty one he talks about in verse 10. He rules. He comes with authority. There's There are two ways that he's presented here in verse 10 and 11. He says he will come with recompense. So he comes as judge to those who refuse to bow the knee to the Lord. But then in verse 11 he says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, gather his lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom. There is tenderness. The way that the living God comes and And moves among his people. Those who bow the knee and respond. He responds to as their shepherd. There's tenderness. We who are recipients of this great message. Have been commissioned as messengers of that great hope. Exactly what Mike just said. And what Sean was sharing as well. Now I want to share with you a story about Mr. and Mrs. Iwamoto. And how God allowed us to be a a part in a story in history that is amazing. So we travel to Japan. We go to language school. We move down to this new area. It'd be like a in the U.S. a subdivision, and um, it was a new. Su- it's actually a new town, but it'd be like a subdivision. What we would know of a subdivision. And this Japanese family moved in to the property right next to our house. And we bump into this family and he says, and he says, hey, foreigners, what are you doing in our neighborhood? And we said, well, we're here to plant a church. And that, you know, Japanese are not looking for someone to come plant a church in their neighborhood. I just want to give you that. So he says, well, that's amazing. My wife and I were laying on our futon on Saturday night and we said, if we knew where church was, we'd go to a church. That also is not what Japanese are laying around on their futons on Saturday night thinking, I promise you. And we thought, okay, this may be what you call a divine appointment. (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Iwamoto sent their daughter to the U.S. to do a homestay with a... Mormon family I think it was in Colorado or somewhere out west 
she had a miserable experience with this Mormon family and a PCA family. Again, pull out your Cray computer and figure out how that happens. A PCA family adopts this girl and leads her to Christ. And in a Bible study, they are praying for her parents and that God would send somebody to go tell her parents about Jesus. And her parents had just moved from the other side of Tokyo. There are 36 million people in Tokyo. And they move in next door to us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, we begin meeting with the Uomotos every Friday morning for two years. Now, Mr. Uomoto was an international businessman. So, for every, every Friday morning for two years, our team leader and then us... We met with them and studied the Bible together. After two years, Mr. Iomoto says, Tom, I get it. I finally get it. I was like, finally. And I say under my breath, it's about time, Mr. Iomoto. And uh, he says, I now understand that I am not supposed to worship the spirit of my dead cat. Two years we've been studying the Bible. This man, 50-something years old, international businessman, tells me, I finally understand that I'm not supposed to worship the spirit of my dead cat. And I was like, I really need to go back to seminary because I've missed something. (laughs) But then he says, is it okay to talk to the spirit of my dead cat? I promise you something else. I didn't learn the answer to that question in seminary either. I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, I didn't know how to respond to him, but God gave me words and gave grace. And Mr. and Mrs. Iwamoto were swept into the kingdom and have come to faith in Christ. And it hasn't been a, a bed of roses for them. There have been a number of challenges. But, you know, that was the most beautiful Example of how the sovereign God of all the universe orchestrates such that He might save those whom He has called. So let me ask you, you who are a recipient of this great grace, are you a messenger of that great grace? Have you been so overwhelmed by God's grace that you can't contain it? Now, I am not here to make you feel guilty. But if that is the case, I want to ask why. I want you to be completely honest with yourself and with God. That if you're not, that's okay. He... He can handle it for you to tell Him the truth. Is it because of indifference? Maybe a lack of care, concern, interest? Maybe it's worldly distractions? Maybe it's fear. You know, I just don't want to go there with those people. Or, I don't want to go there. God's going to send me to Africa. I know He's going to do that. (laughs) Or maybe it's in some very real senses, a stinginess. That you feel like, you know, I work really hard for what I have and I need to provide well for my family. And there's truth in that, but there's also truth in every one of Satan's lies. 
So let me ask you, what do you do if that is the case? It's easy. You repent. He is willing to receive you. This whole book of the prophecy of Isaiah is a call to the people of God to repent and come to Him and He will receive you. He will forgive you. And then the call is to believe the gospel. That He loves you more than you understand. His forgiveness. You know, you may think, okay, I'm a sinner. I'm I'm this much of a sinner. You're a greater sinner than you have any idea. You sin against God in thought, word, and deed every moment of every day. Because you don't love Him as much as you should. I don't love Him as much as I should. And so we rely upon His grace. That's our hope is His grace. And then we believe the gospel and we fight. We get back in there. Every one of you needs to understand that you have a high calling from God. Maybe He has not called you to be a missionary in Africa. And some of you are going, yes. And and you know what? That's okay. Maybe He's called you to be a mom. I love what you said. Maybe He's called you to be the best grandma in the world. And to love on and disciple and pray for your grandchildren. Or maybe you're a banker. Or maybe you're retired. I don't care what it is. He calls every one of us to live a faith-filled, with a faith-filled kingdom purposefulness. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what it means for you individually or what it means for this church. But I do know we have been graced and He's called us to be a blessing for you to be a blessing here in Bruton and from Bruton to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, we Lord, we thank You for this passage. I feel like I have raced through it. Um, we want to pause and be still and be quiet before You for just a moment. Lord, we acknowledge that we're sinners. Justly deserving your displeasure without hopes save in your sovereign mercy. But Lord, we also have incredible hope because of Christ. He is our righteousness. He has paid for all of our sin. He has set us free that we might be messengers of this good gospel. Lord, give us joy in being all that you've called us to do all that you've called us to be. Give each one of us those Iwamoto moments where there are divine appointments and we're paying attention and you use us for your glory and for your honor. We ask in your name. Amen. I am sorry I went over.